Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome back to Behind the Knife's Oil Board Review Series. My name is Patrick Georgioff, and I'm joined today by Craig Brown. Craig Brown is a general surgery resident at the University of Michigan. Craig, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me again. So let's t- talk about the liver today. So the, the four diseases and conditions for liver, according to the SCORE guidelines, include hepatic abscess, metastatic hepato- hepatic neoplasms, and benign and malignant primary hepatic neoplasms. Advanced diseases and conditions include cirrhosis and portal hypertension. The core operations and procedures are hepatic abscess drainage and hepatic biopsy, which is interesting because it does not include any some kind of real legitimate liver surgery. Advanced <laughs> operations and procedures are segmentectomy or lobectomy and a hepatic ultrasound, intraoperative hepatic ultrasound. All right, so let's get started with liver neoplasms or liver mass in general. Uh, so, Craig, most often, how are these going to present? Sure. Yeah. You know, a lot of times this is an incidental finding. Um, Occasionally they're symptomatic, but they got to usually be pretty big or cause some sort of obstruction to, you know, end up with uh, symptoms here. Other times we'll see them on screening. So, for example, uh, uh, cirrhotics have Q6 month uh, ultrasounds and AFP, and sometimes we'll catch, you know, HCC and things like that that way. Uh, So those are kind of the common ways. Yeah. Yeah. So for the exam, we want to do a full uh, history and physical, do a thorough physical exam. Uh, we will get some labs, basic labs, uh, including comprehensive metabolic panel, look at the LFTs and a hepatitis panel. Uh, if you're already uh, in the note that this is a mass, don't forget your uh, oncologic markers, including CEA, AFP and CA199. The preferred imaging for liver lesions would be a multiphasic or liver protocol CT or a liver protocol MRI, and that's probably preferred. So if you have the option to get an MRI, uh, again, liver protocol, multiphasic, go for that. Uh, if Sometimes you can diagnose the mass based on imaging characteristics alone. Uh, if you can't biopsy that, or excuse me, a di- diagnose that mass on imaging characteristics, or if a, an absolute tissue diagnosis is going to alter your course of management, then you want to consider a biopsy, and that's going to be a core a needle biopsy, not an FNA. Craig, what if you find a mass, a liver mass, and you're doing all types of things, you're searching everywhere, you did a full CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis, and you cannot find uh, a, um, and, and, and you biopsy it, and it's not a primary liver lesion. Right. How do you go about finding a cult primary? If you get that in the exam, what are some things you can rattle off uh, uh, to complete that workup for an occult primary liver lesion? Yeah, so oftentimes these are just really poorly differentiated, and so we actually can't tell the tissue of origin. Um, you mentioned getting a full CT chest, abdomen, pelvis. If that doesn't show anything, really, we're going to go on a bit of a trek to try to find something. Uh, and I think the way that I think about this is really start with the things that are commonly metastatic to the liver. So you're going to get an EGD. You're looking for gastric cancers, uh, esophageal cancer. You're going to get a, col- a full colonoscopy. Colon cancer is obviously a most common uh, metastatic lesion to the liver. Mammogram, breast cancer can do that. And then they need a full gynecologic exam because uh, if they're female, obviously, because these can really... Uh, 
be poorly differentiated uh, gynecologic malignancies. Um, if you do find that a mass in the liver is malignant, the thing to remember here is you got to get your your chest CT to complete your staging because oftentimes that's something that gets missed. These patients often have screening studies or something like a CT abdomen and pelvis, uh, and that mass gets found, and then we forget to man, uh, image the chest. So really remember completing your staging regardless of primary. Yeah, I guess a good point, and that, that's for all these these cancer topics. You, you need to get a diagnosis. Uh, oftentimes that includes a biopsy. You need to complete staging. You need to consider whether the patient needs neoadjuvant treatment. Then you usually end up talking about surgery and consider adjuvant treatment and follow-up. So that's for every single patient. Don't ever, uh, every single uh, cancer patient, don't forget to stage. All right, so let's talk about cystic lesions. So the majority of cystic lesions are benign. Uh, if uh, they are asymptomatic and look benign on imaging, no treatment is required. If they're symptomatic, you want to be able to describe a laparoscopic unroofing procedure. And if during that procedure you have any concerning findings in the operating room, then you want to send frozen samples to rule out malignancy uh, and determine whether you need to perform a more extensive uh, resection. Do not uh, just acerate these, thing, these things percutaneously. That's not effective. So laparoscopic unroofing for a symptomatic cyst. Uh, Craig, what about how do we look determine whether a cyst might be malignant preoperatively? Sure. Yeah. You know, the radiologic signs here are really the same as for any cyst, to be quite honest with you. So a thickened wall, if they have septations, or if there's uh, heterogeneous cyst content, then all those things are concerning from a radiologic perspective. Oftentimes we'll see these on CT scan or ultrasound and all the, you know, radiologists usually comment on those sorts of things. If you do um, uh, have a malignant cyst, or something that you're concerned for uh, malignancy, then obviously aspiration and or uh, laparoscopic unroofing is not the surgery of choice. In those cases, we should enucleate or even just do a wide resection if possible. Great, great. All right, so let's move on to solid lesions, non-cystic lesions. Uh, these can be divided up into benign or malignant. Uh, these cause a lot of anxiety for, for residents. Uh, they can be kind of complicated in terms of workup and management. Uh, let's talk about the, the, the three main benign, or at least initially benign lesions, would be hemangioma, focal nodular hyperplasia, and an adenoma. So again, benign, solid lesions of the liver include hemangioma, FNH, and adenoma. When it comes to primary malignant lesions, we think about HCC and intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. And then really the third category is metastatic malignant. This is the most common type of, of malignant liver lesion. So going back up to benign, let's start with hemangioma. Uh, the presentation for folks with hemangioma is most, um, uh, is, is most commonly that they're, they're asymptomatic. Uh, you on imaging can see some abnormal vessels. We'll talk about more of that, uh, more about that in a minute. It's more common in women and they can be larger, uh, in the setting of oral contraceptives. Interestingly, even if these things are big and gnarly looking, they're at very low risk of rupture and they're at very, very low risk of malignancy. So Craig, I mentioned some, you know, abnormal vessels on imaging. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah, really, you know, these hemangiomas are diagnosed on imaging primarily. So what we see in, on MRI is we see bright T2-weighted imaging, so fluid, as you'd expect. They're hemangiomas. Uh, they have what they call centripetal filling or peripheral to central filling. And then um, for, from a symptomatic standpoint, you mentioned most of these are asymptomatic. If they're symptomatic, just like what we talked about before, these are usually huge tumors. So this is like 10 centimeter plus, and oftentimes they're at the periphery of the liver, not the um, not near the hilum. The um, one kind of eponym that's important here is Casabac 
uh, Merritt syndrome, or oftentimes it's called hemangioma thromba, sorry, hemangioma thrombocytopenia syndrome. This is thrombocytopenia and a consumptive coagulopathy that's associated with a cavernous hemangioma. This is usually in children. I just throw that out there because it's something to be aware of here. How about, how about, um, treatment of benign lesions? Uh, you know, we talked about symptomatic versus asymptomatic. Yeah. So if they're symptomatic, uh, or they're very large and the cutoff for very large is not entirely clear, but, uh, certainly 10 centimeters is large. Uh, you want to consider surgical treatment via a nucleation, um, or formal liver resection. In regards to the nucleation, there's oftentimes a capsule or a plane that's readily apparent uh, that allow you to kind of scoop these these tumors out. Uh, but again, uh, to resect only if symptomatic or very large, not for the purpose of um, malignant transformation. Awesome. So that, that's hemangioma. Let's talk quick about focal nodular hyperplasia. Um, this uh, is the second most common benign tumor. Uh, it's really just an abnormal organization of uh, hepatocytes, normal hepatocytes. Um, and it often has areas of necrosis and scarring, and that's what we'll talk about in a minute in terms of imaging characteristics. We think that it's probably due to an embryonic vascular injury, but we don't really know. And the important point here is that FNH is not a pre-malignant condition. Yeah, and, and these patients usually present asymptomatically, again, unless it's a big old mass. And on, on imaging, you're going to see... Uh, that these uh, lesions enhance brightly during arterial phase and that there's a central scar that becomes hyper intense on delayed imaging. Uh, also, if you need to uh, differentiate this from an adenoma, you can do a 99 uh, technetium sulfur colloid scan and the uh, FNH lesions will take up that sulfur colloid. Adenomas will not. What about treatment, Craig? Yeah, really don't do anything with these. So, and you know, symptomatic, obviously, you can do something, but the vast majority of the time, these are asymptomatic, and we just leave them. Right. All right. Uh, the last benign lesion, adenoma, uh, these um, are just sheets of hepatocytes without normal uh, uh, blood vessel or bile architecture. Uh, they are associated with oral contraceptives, very important to recognize in the question stem. And they may actually regress or stop growing if you stop those OCPs. Uh, again, so an important treatment uh, initially for adenomas, it's to stop the OCPs and see if they regress. Also important to know is that adenomas have a low but consistent rate of malignant transformation. Uh, and so that's a little bit different than the uh, than FNH and hemangioma, which we said essentially you're not worried about these becoming cancerous. Adenomas you are. Uh, Craig, how do you how do you diagnose these on imaging? Yeah, so uh, really this comes down to, you know, enhancement characteristics as a lot of these do. So adenoma has marked uniform enhancement with uh, arterial phase um, uh, contrast, but this actually goes away on portal phase. So that's a little bit different. It is somewhat easy to confuse this one with uh, focal nodular hyperplasia, but the important difference is that FNH has a central scar, a feeding vessel, and as you mentioned, there's uptake of the technetium sulfur colloid. Yeah. And so uh, for treatment, these, these folks should get their, their adenoma removed. So uh, surgical resection is recommended if they're a good surgical candidate. Again, the reason for that is the low but consistent rate of malignant transformation. Before you uh, go ahead with surgery, see, stop the OCPs, see if you can get it to regress or shrink. All right, let's move on to the primary malignant lesions. Again, this is hepatocellular carcinoma or intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. HCC, uh, this is the most common primary malignant lesion. Uh, certainly, patients who have chronic hepatitis or cirrhosis are at increased risk for developing this. Uh, and as uh, Craig mentioned, I think already, uh, 
the HCC or, or cirrhotic patients are typically screened every six to 12 months with ultrasound and an AFP. So that may be how the patient presents to you uh, in your clinic. Sure. Diagnosis of these patients is really, uh, oftentimes we can do it with just imaging alone. Um, HCC is uh, characterized by early arterial phase enhancement as before with early washout. And really, we don't have to do any sort of biopsy um, if unless it's somewhat questionable, um, which the vast majority of the cases can actually be diagnosed just on uh, imaging alone. And also the other thing to remember here is that make sure that the biopsy is actually going to change your treatment plan. Yeah. Yeah. So to treat these, uh, this just gets a little more complex. We're not going to be able to cover it in detail on the podcast, but uh, this is based on the Barcelona Clinic staging system. It takes into account uh, a, a number of different things that are patient-specific factors and tumor-specific factors. Um, but in regards to non Surgical, so you know you can resect it. Uh, that's the first and foremost. That's how you treat. Uh, you want negative margins, uh, and uh, you don't have to resect the uh, individual, you know, complete segment that that lesion is associated with. Uh, again, just to negative margins. Also, non-surgical treatment includes options like radiofrequency ablation. This is favored uh, uh, among uh, compared to transarterial chemoembolization, microwave ablation, or alcohol ablation. Uh, there's also um, cryotherapy. Uh, in addition to radio uh, radiation and yttrium-90 spheres. A lot of different options, but RFA is probably the, the best one to mention. There's also the Milan criteria, which, which determines which patients are candidates for liver transplant. Uh, the Milan criteria uh, uh, consists of uh, or states that any uh, patient with a single liver lesion less than 5 centimeters or three or less lesions that are all less than 3 centimeters may be considered for surgical transplant. And finally, a newer medical treatment that probably should be mentioned on the oral boards includes serafinib, which is a multi-kinase inhibitor. Uh, this extends uh, survival for HCC patients. We'll quickly talk about intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. I know we talked about this as the kind of the second primary malignant uh, option within the liver. You know, I think really this is unlikely to be covered. It's pretty advanced. Um, but the bottom line is, is stage these patients as before and then just resect if you can. Right. Right. And, and again, let's talk about now let's move on to metastatic malignant tumors. Again, these are the most common malignant lesion in the liver. Uh, so don't forget that. Uh, these are most often peripherally located and they are low attenuation lesions on, on the initial CT scan. And about a half of patients with colorectal cancer will develop hepatic mets. And so overwhelmingly, the most common cause of metastatic malignant disease to the liver is from colorectal cancer. And we talk about treatment of those lesions, uh, especially when you have a, a colon lesion and a metastatic lesion in the liver. We talk about treatment of that in the colorectal cancer episode. Sure. Uh, in terms of surgical planning for these patients, I think something interesting to talk about here is um, how much liver do you need left? And really what it comes down to is, is for normal liver patients, which again is is not the majority of these patients. If their liver is normal, they usually don't have HCC. But uh, if they do, in fact, have a normal liver, then the recommended liver remnant or functional liver remnant that you'll see is greater than 20%. That's distinctly different from cirrhotic patients. Again, the vast majority of these patients are going to be cirrhotic. And those the recommendation for uh, functional liver remnant is greater than 40%. Uh, in order to calculate that future uh, liver remnant, uh, think about doing that with a radiologist, and remember that it has to be two two or more contiguous segments. They can't be separate segments uh, that are non-contiguous. The way to kind of get around these numbers is 
thing to remember um, is that portal vein embolization is an option here because you can get hypertrophy of the uh, river lemnit, sorry, liver remnant here. Um, and if you see hypertrophy greater than 10% uh, in a cirrhotic patient, that's uh, favorable for, uh, it's protective against uh, uh, liver failure in the postoperative setting. Great. And then, you know, the, in general, the, the workup for a liver patient or liver resection is pretty complex. And so I'm just going to mention a couple other things that are really predictors of, of, of badness, essentially. Uh, and that includes uh, portal vein hypertension. So normal portal vein pressures are one to five millimeters of mercury. So if you're well above that, uh, that's not a good uh, prognostic indicator. If the patient has varices, whether they're seen endoscopically or on imaging, if they have ascites, and if they have thrombocytopenia, especially if they have uh, platelets less than 100 or 100,000. Uh, these are all bad things that might make uh, uh, give you pause before proceeding to the operating room. There's also scores, the child's Pew score. Uh, this was originally described uh, to evaluate mortality following liver resection in cirrhotics. Uh, the child's Pew score includes albumin, ascites, bilirubin, encephalopathy, and INR. This can be a valuable uh, tool to assess for operative risk. Uh, the second scoring system would be the MELD score, and this was designed to predict three-month mortality, not necessarily related to liver operations, but overall three-month mortality for uh, liver failure patients. And it's also used by UNOS to allocate livers when it comes to transplantation. And the MELD score includes the bilirubin, creatinine, and INR, and more recently, the addition of, of sodium. Uh, and there are standard exceptions, uh, a number of them actually. Uh, probably the most common being hepatocellular carcinoma or hepatopulmonary syndrome uh, that increase a patient's MELD score with, with any of those, um, again, with any of those standard exceptions. Awesome. So now newly minted uh, board certified surgeon, Patrick Georgia, how, <laughs> tell me, how, how do you do an open liver resection? Yeah. Again, I want to remind all the listeners that this is a core, uh, an advanced procedure. It's not a core procedure. So this is an advanced procedure according to score. But we will go ahead and describe it today. Preoperatively, you want to ensure that the patient uh, is not receiving liters and liters of fluid. We want to establish a low CVP preoperatively. This decreases intraoperative blood loss. We want to establish quality IV access. And uh, for most of these resections, uh, especially if it's a sizable one, have an arterial line uh, and blood on the ready. So uh, we'll perform a subcostal incision. Uh, you can also describe this with a midline extension. Uh, we're going to explore the abdomen thoroughly to evaluate for any metastatic disease and biopsy and, and, and get frozen sections if we see anything. We'll mobilize liver by taking down attachments uh, to the diaphragm. And then don't forget to perform an intraoperative ultrasound. And we want to identify the mass borders, you know, where the mass actually is. Also see if there's any masses that we were not able to see on preoperative imaging. This is becoming less and less likely these days due to the quality of cross-sectional imaging, both MRI and CT. And we want to look for portal and venous anatomy um, in relation to where that mass is. Next, we'll encircle the portal structures uh, with a vessel loop or a clamp. Uh, this allows us to Pringle uh, in case we get into bleeding or during uh, or as planned during uh, transection of the hepatic parenchyma. And then we want to resect the mass. And there's lots of different options for resection. And you can just choose whatever you're most comfortable with or whatever you perform to your institution. This could be the crush clamp uh, method. You use an ultrasonic dissector, staplers, argon beam, cautery, et cetera, or even a combination of these things. You also want to, when, upon completing the resection, evaluate for remnant liver perfusion. Make sure the 
whatever's left of the liver is not turning purple, and very closely examined for bile leaks that you might be able to repair before getting out. Uh, almost universally place a drain. Uh, and as I mentioned before, in regards to liver lesions, you only need a histologically negative margin. Uh, and uh, you do not need to do full a segmental resection. All right. I think that completes the core, some of the core topics for liver. We do want to add one thing. We'll talk about liver abscess today too, Craig. Uh, so liver abscesses are most commonly due to a perforation uh, with spread via the portal system or from a direct extension from a biliary infection. And most of these are polymicrobial, uh, including gram negatives and, and anaerobes. Uh, Craig, what are the signs and symptoms of a patient with liver abscess? Yeah, they're pretty vague. Most of the time, it's really fever, abdominal pain. Very rarely, these patients will have kind of a more chronic picture and have weight loss and that sort of thing. But really, it's just the stuff you'd think. Yeah, and if for whatever reason, the examiner is painting a description of a patient that you think may have a liver abscess, uh, how are you going to work them up? Um, yeah, I, I think imaging is the uh, obvious question here. Uh, ultrasound turns out to be actually pretty sensitive here. So uh, right upper quadrant ultrasound has a sensitivity of about 90%. CT scan is the preferred option here, 95 to 100% sensitive. Um, and then we'll kind of talk about this in a second here, but really you got to aspirate that bad boy and get a culture of the of the bacteria because that'll dictate your treatment. That goes kind of hand in hand with how we'll treat these, which um, we'll talk about in a second. Um, and then make sure that you get blood cultures here because blood cultures are positive in fifty percent of patients who have a liver abscess. Um, Patrick, do you want to talk more about treatment? Yeah, let's do that. You mentioned aspiration, so you can just do a percutaneous aspiration uh, with or without drain placement. Uh, if the the abscess is sizable, maybe something greater than five centimeters. You probably want to leave a drain behind and always take it out uh, whenever output goes down. Uh, and you want to send cultures, uh, again, from that fluid, as you mentioned. Um, you can also do an ERCP-based intervention uh, if that's uh, easy, more easily accessible endoscopically. And antibiotics, uh, broad-spectrum antibiotics, uh, are narrowed down preferably based on culture results for at least six weeks. And if you do get a, again, that'd be, this would be a, a mean question, but you get culture negative, or if you get a culture negative abscess, you might want to consider entamoeba histolytica. Uh, and the way you diagnose that is with a serum antigen test and as treated with flagell. Um, I don't think that would come up though. So uh, again, I think that completes our, our review of the liver. Uh, Craig, thank you very much for joining us today. Until next time, dominate the day. 